Three years ago, Reverend Jonathan Wilkins got a call that the NFL Chicago Bears were looking for a part-time chaplain. Wilkins had a connection to the team through a former youth pastor and was brought in to address a group of rookies. Wilkins spoke to them about a low period in his life and how he used his faith to face adversity. A few months later, he was officially named team chaplain. In this episode of Skydeck, the Bulletin's associate editor, Julia Hanna, talks to Wilkins about the role of faith in the locker room and how the challenges of a professional football player aren't so different from our own. Professional football players are larger-than-life people, both literally and figuratively, when you think about the role that the sport plays in our culture. Given that, what has surprised you most in your role as chaplain for the Chicago Bears? I think the, the most amazing thing that I've realized being here is, is that we're not that dissimilar uh, as it relates to the common challenges that they face at their level. I mean, these are world-class athletes, right? So they are working professionals. They are experts at what they do. They're compensated and paid for what they do. But the challenges that they face as, on average, 20, 25-year-old men are not that dissimilar to what, you know, someone who's just in general, 2025. I mean, they've got families, they've got friends, they've got loved ones. For those of us who, you know, are able to make decent salaries, we understand what it means to want to provide for your family. And some of us have not come from the best means. And so we're looking to do something to help our families and, and our communities. And the challenges that come along with balancing expectations of being an NFL player along with the expectations of family members, taking care of bills, managing personal relationships, balancing work life with family. You know, you've got a a lot of players who are married that have children and spend a lot of time away from their children and oftentimes are are challenged with that. I mean, those those are common challenges for, you know, CEOs on down to middle management, on down to analysts on Wall Street. And I think that's sort of the biggest wake up for me is it's been that I can actually speak to those challenges and relate to them, maybe not in the sense of a salary, uh, but in the sense of, of trying to balance and manage life as it, as it happens and the demands that go along with it. Can you do a little scene setting in terms of your gatherings with players? What is the room like? Are players coming right off the field or preparing to go on? How do you get them to make the transition to a quieter place? transitioning them from the field to the sanctity of that moment, uh, the sacredness of that moment is generally just a a quick prayer and an acknowledgement that we're blessed to be in these roles and to have these opportunities. But then we also pivot from the prayer to whatever's on their mind. You know, I used to sort of in my first and second year, I kind of made, I wouldn't say a mistake, but I generally came in with what I wanted to talk about rather than sort of acknowledging what they want to talk about. We'll ask for if there are any prayer requests. So if there's someone who's lost a loved one, we'll put that on the board. If there's a family that maybe has a daughter who's dealing with cancer, as we do, we'll lift her in prayer. Um, So we pray, and then I pitch a question, just very much like uh, like at HBS, to sort of engage the audience, uh, again, to bring them to the moment. So uh, last Saturday night, you know, the question was, what does it mean to thrive as a Christ follower, as, as a Christian? I asked them to sort of discuss it, the, the question among themselves for two to three minutes. So, so what you're doing then, uh, after you've prayed, sort of bringing them into the sacredness of the moment, then you are engaging community and pushing them, challenging them to challenge each other on their assumptions and to hear thoughts. There's a number of people in the room. So you've got you know, a broad range of sort of multi-ethnic 
you know, multi-talented individuals in the room to sort of bring their own personal experiences to bear upon that question. And so as they're responding, I'm literally writing like an HBS <laughs> facilitator on the board and writing their responses. What they don't know is as I'm doing that, I'm engineering or re-engineering what I'm planning to discuss as a part of the lesson that I've listed on the whiteboard so that they feel completely engaged. And when they do, what I've found uh, is they feel invested also in the moment. And so it's not just a topic that is aloof and afar from them, but it's something that that they can now identify with because they've discussed it among themselves and, and now they get to hear a spiritual, scriptural reference to what, to what they've illuminated. So I end up walking away as the teacher that much more challenged in my own assumptions uh, and I'm able to sort of bring another framework to the next discussion. Speaking of being challenged, I'm just curious, do you ever get folks coming to the meeting who maybe don't believe in God who are just kind of curious or want to challenge you in any way. I'm just wondering, you know, who shows up who maybe is not the typical <laughs> participant and what happens then? Yeah, so, so what I've uh, encountered is it's generally not in the open setting that, that I'm okay. challenged, but sort of offline. Um, you know, maybe it's, and it's not necessarily that they aren't believers in, in a deity or of uh, God, but but more so, how how does that relate to to them? Right. Um, you know, and then and then I, I get a lot of questions around, you know, sort of the notion of suffering. What is the purpose of suffering if there is this sort of loving God? And and you know, why are there natural disasters? I mean, they're very complex questions that have arise or arisen uh, as it relates to the natural disasters that we saw in Houston and Florida and and Puerto Rico. I mean, those. You know, we were praying for families uh, real time, family members who couldn't get out and family members who were lost. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot going on at, at that time. And so, you know, those are those are all questions that never sort of have easy, simple answers, but they are questions that, that need to be addressed. And I do the best that I can. But I also understand the importance of with these players, they can sort of tell when you're being authentic and when you're not. And so if I don't know the answer, I've just learned to say I don't know. And the reality is there are moments in all of our lives where, where we just don't know <laughs> the answer. And I think it's okay to be puzzled with a question that you have to live with, uh, but also to challenge yourself to attempt to answer it over time. And so you know, some things we come to understand immediately, other things take time to, uh, to underscore and, and, and relate to. A few businesses are starting to investigate the benefits of meditation training and awareness for their employees. Can you foresee a future where large corporations have a designated CMO or like a chief mindfulness officer who would serve in a role similar to your own with the Bears? I think that would be incredible. And I I think I'd sign up for that immediately. Uh, (laughs) I think it is necessary. When you think about outside of football, life continues to happen. I mean, there are rumors of wars as we speak. There are challenges on and off the field between different communities. There are conversations now happening between the haves and the have-nots. You've got these communal challenges and you've got these personal challenges uh, as it relates to finances or health care or physical health. There's a lot that happens in our communities that affects employees, managers, the deadlines, the the stress 
the responsibilities, the leadership requirements, the demands. And I think there's, there's something to be said about every one of us having sort of a sense of, of release or an outlet or something that allows us to release the pressure uh, that we may be feeling in our minds and may be carrying around each and every day. It, it is a reality that, that we are all up under stress. And I, I'm a firm believer in things like counseling and, and, and having someone that you can literally talk to that is not directly connected to your situation, but, but can help you find the door that you're walking past and help you realize you don't have to stay where your thoughts are, but you can actually leave that scene and create better and new new normals. And so, I think there is a space, and I actually think that, that it's it's necessary. I mean, I've learned, I've lived and and worked in corporate America, and I know the stress and the demands, you know, and the rewards that come with it. But if you don't have that outlet, it can be overwhelming. Uh, I've got friends who are at the highest of the the, the C suites who talk a lot about the demands and the stress of being in those seats and things like exercise and you know meditation and counseling and family and things that we sort of take for granted at times are very very important so I I would absolutely say yes and emphatically yeah and I think that's a part of the notion of of work-life balance too I mean we spend 80 90 percent of our lives working uh, in some capacity whether you're an entrepreneur or running a business or running a major corporation, you're, you're doing something. And so I think it's important to, to have something that alleviates the pressure. Well, these players are lucky enough to have you as a source of, of feedback and support, but how do you recharge your spiritual batteries? So I have a church that I attend that helps to sort of inspire me. That's one. Two, I would say I, I really... And this might sound a little corny, but I really love classical music, whether it's Claire de Lune by Debussy, um, classical music. I love, I love all of that. I love those choirs that, that have no music, like physical music, but it's just their voices. That helps me to meditate. Every day I do this sort of three for five exercise where I'll sit quietly for five minutes and just allow my thoughts to be at peace. And then I will pray for the next five minutes, both listening and audibly praying. And then uh, thirdly, I'll literally write in my journal for five minutes. And sometimes one of those five minutes goes longer than the others. But what I found is by the end of the minimum 15 minutes, I feel much more prepared for whatever is coming because I've just sort of put my body and my mind at peace with those intervals. And then I work out, so I will uh, I try to get to the gym early, if not uh, 5, 5.30. I've just found that, that getting up early starts my day off right. You sort of feel, <laughs> you sort of, you sort of feel the sense of victory when you've worked out by 6 o'clock, you know. But I, I'll tell you, if I, don't, if I don't do it in the morning, it doesn't generally happen. So, <laughs> so I try to force myself, even on days when I really, really don't want to. Did you ever think you'd be the chaplain of a professional football team? No. I, and if you told me at the Harvard Business School that I'd be doing this, I, I would have I would have suggested that you were out of your mind. You should see the vantage point in the locker room when I get to pray pray with the team. I mean, you got everybody standing up and sort of this little guy <laughs> in the midst of everybody, and they're all listening intently for uh, what I have to say. I have always sort of felt this bivocational call to sort of business and ministry, but never thought that an opportunity of any sort 
related to this would come open, but I'm thankful for it. This is my third season and just eye-opening experience to sort of have conversations with all extremities of society, right? So I'll volunteer at a local shelter, interact with people who haven't had the best circumstances or come from the best means, but are great people, right, who are thankful for life. And then you pivot from a shelter to Hollis Hall, which is where we are now with the Chicago Bears and have conversations with individuals who are from that background, you know, in impoverished communities or impoverished blocks and how grateful they are to have the experiences and exposure that they have now. I mean, it's just, it's incredible to sort of see things come full circle and, and to have these kinds of experiences. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck.